Welcome to the Grace Community Church Podcast. We are grace for everyone, community for everyone, church for everyone. We hope that as you listen to the message from this past Sunday, that your heart is encouraged and you find yourself being drawn to Jesus wherever you're tuning in from. We are so grateful that you've joined us and pray that you'll be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Hey friends, we've all tried to use excuses to get out of something, haven't we? Or when we've been late for something. Like, have you ever shown up late for work and you've used the excuse, oh, traffic was terrible, or uh, there was an accident over on Keniston, or, you know, some sort of excuse for your tardiness. If, if you've used the same excuse more than a couple of times, I came up with or found, uh, not came up with, found some of the most interesting excuses that employees have used uh, to explain why they were late for work. These are the top 10 that I could find anyway. Um, one was, my heat was shut off, so I had to stay home to keep my snake warm. Okay. Um, number two, my husband thinks it's funny to hide my car keys before he goes to work. I actually think that's a really good one. I also think that's kind of funny. Um, number three was, I walked into a spider web on the way out of the door and I couldn't find the spider, so I had to go inside and shower again. That is a valid excuse. Number four, I got locked in my trunk by my son. I have so many questions about this one. <laughs> Number five was I left, or my left turn signal was out, so I had to make all right turns in order to get to work. Number six, I was attacked by a raccoon and had to stop by the hospital to make sure it wasn't rabid. Um, number seven, my father didn't wake me up. I feel like there's a lot of younger people that maybe could use that one on a regular basis. Number eight, a groundhog bit my bike tire and made it flat. <laughs> number nine, my driveway washed away in the rain last night. I mean, that if that's what actually happened, you should have probably stayed home and dealt with um, the flooding in your home. Um, but number 10, I still have so many questions about. Number 10 is, I had to go to bingo. Oh, why were you late for work today? Mm, I had to go to bingo. I don't even know what to do with that last one. But this morning, we're going to look at a couple of excuses that people put forward for not immediately following Jesus. Neither of them involve a raccoon or a groundhog, but somehow a fox is going to play into the story. For the next number of weeks, we're looking at the difficult words of Jesus. Those phrases that left Jesus' listeners scratching their heads, and in some case, even turning away from him. Phrases like, take up your cross and follow me. Or anyone who doesn't hate their father and mother uh, can't follow me. Or go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And this week's instruction is, let the dead bury their own dead. Now Jesus, the master, the, the gifted teacher, in an invitation to follow him, often included some strange instructions. But perhaps none as shocking as this one. Let the dead bury their own dead. Let's get into the scene in Matthew where this statement is uttered in real time. Come with me to Matthew chapter 8. If, if you have a Bible, you'll likely be more engaged and able to remember better if you not only hear what's being uh, said, but read along with us. If you don't have a Bible handy, I'd encourage you to download Version on your mobile dev device. It's free. It's an app with loads of different Bible translations. There's free reading plans uh, in there that'll help you spend time in scripture on a daily basis. And, and each week we create an event 
in that app that has all the relevant scriptures for the message so that you can follow along with it. So if you don't already have it, I'd encourage you to go get it. And while you're downloading it, the verses will be on the screen for you to follow along with us. So Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. It's a really short but sweet uh, interaction with Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. So far for now. Remember, context matters. Understanding sort of what's gone on beforehand, what's going on in this scene is really important to understand how we apply it in our lives today. The section here in Matthew opens with, when Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Well, when you see things like that, you may ask questions like, well, why is there a crowd forming? What's, what's been going on? On. If we look at the context, if we look at what happened in the verses preceding Matthew 8, 18, if we go back a couple of verses, we'll read that when Peter, or sorry, when Jesus came to Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So Jesus was visiting Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law was ill. She had a fever. Now, we think nothing of having a fever or a headache nowadays because, you know, the miracle of modern science means that we, you know, pop an Advil and carry on with our day. But for Peter's mother-in-law, this could be something really serious. It might even be a matter of life and death. Like what sort of infection resulted in her having this fever? The Bible doesn't record the reason, but records the remedy. It says that Jesus lays his hand on her hand and the fever is gone. There's this incredible miracle healing and she gets up and begins to wait on Jesus. If we went back a couple more verses before this episode, we read of the healing of the Roman centurion's servant. Uh, the centurion comes to Jesus and says, my servant is home and ill, very ill, Lord. And if you, would, if you would but say the word, I know that he would be healed. And Jesus is like, well, why don't you take me to him? And the, the centurion says, I, I'm a man who knows authority. He's like, if I tell one of my soldiers to go, he goes. I know that if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus is amazed by this man's faith. And he says, go, your servant has been made well. So Jesus has been healing and delivering people, the centurion's servant and Peter's mother-in-law, and then word starts to spread and it says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits and he healed all the sick. So he's been healing sickness and disease and it's showing that Jesus has this power, this authority over, over illness. And so that's why the crowd had formed. People who were not well were coming to him to be healed. And it might also explain the sudden impulsive, you know, declaration of this teacher of the law. He sees all of this going on. He's like, this, this is where it's at. I will follow you wherever you go. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus gives this like rather cryptic response to that outburst of devotion. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have dens, birds have nests. 
Uh, but the Son of Man, and we'll get into that title in a second, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is saying, like, he doesn't have a, you know, a place to call home. He's, he doesn't have a home base that he's always going back to, sleeping in his own bed. He, he's saying that following him means a life of wandering from place to place and relying on the generosity of others. It's not all glitz and glamour. It's not all this, this healing and deliverance that this uh, young man has been witnessing. I love the way Rich Mullins paints this verse in his song, You Did Not Have a Home. These are the lyrics. It says, oh, you did not have a home. There were places you visited frequently. You took off your shoes and scratched your feet because you knew that the whole world belonged to the meek, but you did not have a home. Birds have nests, foxes have dens, but the hope of the whole world rests on the shoulders of a homeless man. Why did Jesus respond to the teacher with that? Birds have nests, foxes have dens, but the hope of the whole world rests on the shoulders of a homeless man. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Why did he respond to the teacher with almost like a warning, almost like, ah, I don't know if you really know what you're asking here. I don't know if you know what you're in for if you decide to follow me. It's almost as if Jesus is saying that. Like you think you have an idea of what it means to follow me, but if you think it's all healings and deliverance, you're in for a bit of a shock. There's suffering that comes with this as well. You're only seeing part of Jesus' ministry in all of these miracles. And Jesus did this fairly often. He would warn people to like temper their claims of fealty with just a little bit of reality. It's like, yes, I know that you, you see all of this and you want, you want to give your life to it, but there's more to the kingdom than this. You know, people uh, would see him feeding the 5,000 and be like, oh, we want, we want to follow you. And then he w- his teaching would get difficult and he'd be like, oh, wait, I don't know if I can get on board with this. When Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper, in John 13, we read, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus answered, will you really? Will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter makes this declaration of devotion. I I will lay my life down for you. I'll follow you wherever you go. Really? Are you sure about that? Are you you sure about that, Peter? You sure about that? Are are you actually going to follow? Do you know what following is going to require? It reminds me of another moment when Jesus checks the devotion of his followers. This time it's James and John in Mark 10. It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in glory. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. You don't know what you're asking. I hear Jesus saying this over and over again when people say, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll give you everything, Jesus. Really? 
you don't really know what you're asking. Sitting on the right and the left, these were seats of power and honor. These were spots that Jesus couldn't grant, but it was also not the point of following in the kingdom. It wasn't so that they would gain power and prestige. Jesus knew that the way to that throne was going to be through suffering and sacrifice. It was going to be the cup of suffering he was about to drink. It was going to be the death that he would be baptized in. It's only through his death that he would be raised up. And so they were asking for honor, not realizing that it was suffering that was going to lead to that place, that that baptism was going to come through death, that they would have to endure all of that before they would see any sort of glory. And that's what he's saying to the men who claimed he would follow him anywhere. Really? Anywhere? Even into suffering and death? Because this is no walk in the park. There, there is struggle and strife ahead. Are you sure about the claim that you'll follow me everywhere? Jesus is saying that follow him is not all of these mountaintop moments where people are healed and delivered. It's not all miracles and rainbows. His authority comes through suffering. And much of what will bring about his kingdom is rooted in sacrifice. It's in laying our lives down. It's in suffering. And I wonder if that statement stopped that teacher of the law in his tracks. I wonder if that made him go like, oh, like to pause for a second. I can picture Jesus, you know, starting to walk away from the crowd and the teacher of the law like shouting from behind Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go, teacher. And Jesus like almost over his shoulder hears this declaration and says like, ah, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the, the son of man, I can picture him turning when he says that, like turning and looking him right in the eyes, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Now, that, that, that term, son of man, is significant. Some claim that Jesus is claiming a title from the ancient prophet Daniel, uh, who referred to this one uh, of this, the, who appeared as a son of man in the presence of the ancient of days, like had this huge vision of God's throne room, this wondrous vision that was just almost overwhelming. And he saw this one. It says in Daniel 7, 13, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So some people tie in that phrase, son of man, back to that authority and glory and sovereign power. And it's clear that Matthew wanted to hint at that, at least with his authority over sickness and disease, that the Son of Man was this one who had power to speak healing and life into the world, that Jesus was the Son of Man. But for Matthew, there's sort of a twofold use of this title. The Son of Man does indeed have authority over sickness. He has authority over the Sabbath. He has authority to forgive sin, but the Son of Man is also the one who suffers that his authority comes through the laying down of his life. He's repeatedly referenced through the book of Matthew as the son of man who will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, Matthew 12, 40. He's the son of man who is going to suffer at their hands, Matthew 17, 12. He's the son of man that's going to be delivered into the hands of men, Matthew 17, 22. He's the son of man that's going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, Matthew 20, 18. You get the picture. The Son of Man, yes, has power and authority. Yes, is able to bring healing and deliverance. But the Son of Man is also the suffering servant, 
The Son of Man is also the one who will lay down his life. Following him will mean participating, at least to some extent, in that suffering, drinking of that same cup, being baptized with that same baptism, not having a place to lay your head. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And I wonder if that teacher turned and walked away at that point. Or did he just continue following with the crowd and just be like, okay, I, I don't know if I get it, but I still want to follow you. Did he continue to go with the crowd? The Bible doesn't give us the rest of the story before it jumps to another disciple and his negotiation with Jesus. The second disciple comes up and says, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Before I come to follow you, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, this is where you would hear a record scratch. You'd be like, what? The, the people who were listening would have been like, did he just say what I think he said? Last week, we mentioned the Ten Commandments, you know, the top ten, and arguably some of the most important texts in the Hebrew Scriptures. And in case you're not familiar with all ten, the fifth one, you know, before we even get to thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not steal, the fifth one is honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that it, you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. One of the top ten is honor your father and honor your mother. The only other passage, perhaps, uh, other than the Ten Commandments that may have been more important for a devout follower of Yahweh was the, was the Shema. Found a couple of verses later in Deuteronomy where it says, like, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, you shall have no other gods before him. Like, you, sh you shall love the Lord your God. The Hear, O Israel. The Shema was one of the most important prayers. In fact, you would pray it every single day. N.T. Wright explains this moment really well. He says, For a devout Jew in Jesus' day and in our own, one of the most solemn and sacred parts of the morning routine would be to say the basic Jewish prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. It is a beautiful and haunting prayer, which is become woven into the very lifeblood of Jewish people for thousands of years. Saying this prayer is regarded by official Jewish teaching as the most important thing to do each day. But there's one thing which takes precedence even over saying this prayer. According to the rabbi's teaching, when a man's father dies, he has such a strong obligation to give him a proper burial that this comes first, before everything else, even before saying the Hear, O Israel prayer. So when Jesus found one of his followers saying that he had to go and organize his father's funeral, you'd have expected him to say, oh, well, of course, you must go and do that, and then come and follow me later. What Jesus actually said is one of the most shocking things in the whole gospel story. Let the dead bury their dead. He said, you must follow me right now. See, that's the thing. You must follow me right now. Urgency is the key. It's not the, you know, unintended offense that the father is likely going to receive if he gets word that Jesus said this. This story shows up in another gospel that the author's rendering might shed a little bit more light for us. Luke records this more moment, or one at least similar to it, with a little more detail. In Luke 9, it says, He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
both of these individuals had given Jesus some sort of excuse for putting off following him. Yeah, I, I do want to follow you, but I have to take care of this first. First, let me go and bury my father. First, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And it, it sounds harsh, but Jesus is saying the kingdom is more important than any of those errands. The kingdom is of utmost importance. You, you, you could send word back to your family through others. We'll, we'll you know, swing back and see them in a bit the next time we're through town. Like, don't worry about saying goodbye. You come and follow me. Let me first bury my father. When, when we first read this, we likely imagine that, you know, the father's recently passed away and the young man needs to go and plan a funeral. But that's not necessarily the case. We don't actually know if the father has passed away or if this young man is waiting for an elderly father to pass. It's entirely possible that the young man is wanting to fulfill his obligation to honor his father by caring for him in his old age. But he could also be waiting for an inheritance that would be coming. Maybe he doesn't want to disappoint his father by chasing after Jesus. And if he doesn't follow Jesus now, he's going to go back and he's going to get distracted and he's never going to follow. It might be that he's saying like, of course I want to follow you, Jesus, but like my dad's getting really old and I've got some money coming my way and once he passes. So like, let me go and take care of those things and then I'll come follow you. I don't want to get rid of the will or anything. And Jesus says to that, like, if that worldly obligation is your primary concern, you're missing the big picture here. You need to go and proclaim the kingdom. You need to come and follow me. Jesus is saying that the kingdom is the most important thing. You go proclaim it now. Don't wait until your father passes, especially if the reason that you wanted to wait is because you think your father wouldn't approve of your decision to follow Jesus, this revolutionary rabbi. Let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, somebody else is going to take care of that situation. It's still a puzzling phrase, but it's a great phrase for a rabbi to get a point across. The issue here was about putting off following Jesus. It wasn't about honoring the father. Jesus would have um, totally asked people to honor their parents. He, he upheld the Ten Commandments. But he says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. If, if the kingdom is not the main thing, then we're missing out. These are challenging words to be sure. And we don't really know how each of these individuals responded to those challenges. Did they decide to follow Jesus or did they go back to their families? Perhaps a more important question for us today is, how do we respond to those difficult words of Jesus? <clears throat> Knowing that the actual issue is about us making excuses, about us putting off following him. I wonder what sort of excuses we've used. You know, reasons why we haven't put the kingdom first in our lives. Like, oh, well, once I get my career figured out and off the ground, well, then, then, I'll, put, then I'll put my effort and energy into seeing the kingdom come. Or once the kids grow up a little bit more, then, then I'll be able to do some of those things that I... I really want to be able to do. You know, once all of this sports stuff kind of settles down, once I, you know, get to retirement and have the money and the time to really invest, what's our, let me first go bury my father? What's our, let me go say goodbye to my family? What's the excuse that we bring? When Jesus calls us to follow him, when Jesus calls us to put the kingdom first, what excuses do we bring? Because we're given opportunities every day, every week, to partner with the Spirit in seeing goodness and grace blossom in the world. And, and sometimes we take those opportunities. Sometimes we grab hold of these moments and we notice the people around us and we're able to speak to and, and bring help into needs where we can see the kingdom come. We have the conversation. You know, we share what we have in order to bless someone else. And 
Sometimes we do. We follow Jesus into those kingdom breakthrough moments. But at other times we say that we're too busy or that's not really my thing or it's not my passion or my calling and we miss out because the kingdom is the most important thing. It still is. It's the most important thing that's happening even now. When peace and love and forgiveness and hope and salvation and life are breaking into people's lives, that's where it's at. That's where we have that same exclamation as the teacher who saw people being healed and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. We don't want to miss out on that. And that's what Jesus was getting at. Don't miss out on the kingdom because you have to say goodbye to your aunts and uncles or because your father's getting on in years. You go and proclaim the kingdom now. When you get that invitation, when you hear Jesus nudging you, how do you respond? What excuse do you use? You know, what do you say that would have Jesus say, ah, let the dead bury their own dead. Somebody else can take care of that. What things are holding you back from following Jesus into his kingdom work in your life today? Think about some of those excuses and think about what it would mean to set them aside and follow him into his kingdom. Let's pray. God, this series is, is already challenging me on such a deep heart level because I confess I often make excuses for not stepping out, for not sharing your good news, not giving what you lead me to give because of fear or uncertainty or ah, sometimes even apathy. And, and I don't want to make excuses. I don't want to miss out on what you're doing in my life and, and in the world around me. I want to lean into those invitations that you bring. Uh, daily, I want to be able to do that. I, I want to be sensitive to the spirit that I might play a part in seeing your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. So would you help me? Help me to follow you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help me to put my hand to the plow and to not look back, to not make excuses, but to say, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go, even if it means that I don't have a place to lay my head, even if it means that suffering and strife are on the corner. I want to walk with you. I want to share in the cup of your suffering, and I want to share in the goodness and blessing that comes when the kingdom is here on earth. So would you help me, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for Church at Home. Uh, we hope that you continue to wrestle with the difficult words of Jesus and, and maybe even take some time in, in this moment to, to acknowledge some of those excuses and to, and, and to make a, a shift in your thinking and lean into the call of Jesus to engage in his kingdom work. Uh, would you allow those words to continue to wrestle with us? Uh, throughout this week, that we, we would let our hearts be changed. We're praying for you. We have so much love for you. And until we see you next time, may this blessing be upon you. May the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. The love of God be reflected in your hands. The wisdom of God be reflected in your words. And the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and seeing believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace to you.